and welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the co-founder of Sunday Body, Lizzie Whaley. Imagine not just trying to get customers on board with a new brand, but getting them to entirely change the way they've done something for their entire life. That is precisely the task Lizzie Whaley was faced with on launching Sunday Body. Lizzie had had a conversation with her business partner about how bath time is so fun when you're a kid and then by adulthood it has totally lost its magic, likely because realistically your only options are a bar of soap or a liquid body wash, neither of which really inspire a whole lot of play or joy. Armed with that thought... Lizzie asked a chemist if there were any other mechanisms or mediums that could be explored in that body care space, to which that chemist suggested a foam. Sunday Body took about 18 months to develop, beginning with a can designed to look like whipped cream and ending with a range of fruit and dessert-scented whipped body foams, formulated to put the fun back into showering at any age. Lizzie pitched Sunday Body to both Woolworths and Priceline before launch and was picked up by both, meaning that Sunday Body had space on over 1,200 shelves before they had launched a single product. In this conversation, Lizzie shares both the pros and cons of self-funding a startup, the lessons learned from her first job in a call centre, and why the right distributor was key to securing space with two of the country's retail giants. Lizzie, we start every single episode in the exact same way, so we're going to take things right back to the very beginning. What is your earliest memory of beauty? My earliest memory of beauty would be probably when I was five years old, my cousin, I was living in Sydney at the time and my cousin from Melbourne um, came to stay with us and she was doing her nails, getting ready for a night out. Mm -hmm. And I just would have been that annoying five-year-old being like, can you show me how to do it? (laughs) And so I remember it was a really deep red and she showed me. Oh, that is a risky colour to be around at that age. And to test and try. And so anyway, she showed me how to paint around sort of the cuticles and then Mm -hmm. you work towards the middle. And It really set the tone because now I've got sort of plain nails now because I'm giving my nails a bit of a break. But Mm -hmm. all my friends, if you've asked any of them, they will know that I always come with my nails done. Full circle. And I have a full shellac kit at home. Yeah. (laughs) I do it myself. I find it really relaxing. Me too. Yeah, I love it. That's been my like hobby for the year. It's such a nice skill to learn and like just take your time with it. I agree. I still go and get them done when I have you know, like a wedding yeah. or event, but yeah. I really thoroughly enjoy doing it myself. <laughs> I love that. What did you think that you would grow up to be? So my earliest memory of sort of a career aspiration would have been a marine biologist because I love dolphins. So yeah. <laughs> that would have been sort of six-year-old me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got into dancing and so I wanted to be a dancer. Oh. I know. <laughs> Um, And then basically I had no bloody idea after that. (laughs) (laughs) I really lost my way and I had no idea what I wanted to do as Mm -hmm. I got older. So, um, yeah, marine biologist, dancer, no no idea. (laughs) Well, you studied public relations. Mm -hmm. Where did you think 
that would take you. I know a lot of people studied it because they saw Samantha on Sex and the City did it and they were like, this is this will be that. It's exactly the same. Yeah, look, probably. I think um, PR was kind of my segue into events. So I thought, yeah, yeah I sort of left school. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, all I knew is I was really good at organisation. I was really mm-hmm. organised. Um, I have to-do lists for my to-do lists and, you know, list galore. So I yeah. just was really good at sort of project managing my assignments um, and that's sort of all I knew that I was really good at. And so from there I thought, okay, I could do event management yeah. um, and sort of a Bachelor of Communications majoring in PR I thought would be, I guess, my segue into that. And mm-hmm. I guess it was kind of a way of keeping mum happy too. She was on my back, <laughs> on my back to do a degree. I took a gap year Um but she really just wanted to, like, I remember she was the one doing my selections. In, oh. Yeah, when you had to go in and enroll in the de- degrees that you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I just had no interest. I yep. just, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So that was kind of where I thought my career would go with public relations mm-hmm. in, in sort of my back pocket. Um, but by the time I actually went to start my career in PR, I I'd managed to secure an internship yeah. Um, at Australian Super. And what happened was the head of PR was sick that day. Right. And so the head of marketing and brand came to get me. And I literally never did PR after that. I got into marketing and I stayed there. Okay. This makes sense because as I was researching, I'm like, there's a, you've studied PR and then there's a whole stint in digital marketing, but mm. in that finance space. So that now makes sense, that piece of the puzzle we've located. Were there any lessons that you picked up then in that time when your career in marketing was really in its infancy that you find you're still applying to your work now? Absolutely. There's probably been a few roles in my career that has helped, mm-hmm. um, I guess, form my career but also helped Sunday, Yeah. Um, you know, helped me run Sunday in, in my day-to-day. So my very first job out of school was in a call centre for Australian Super. Oof. Yeah. Rough. <laughs> that was rough. It that was teaches rough. resilience. It teaches resilience, else. but it also teaches epic customer service skills. Yeah, as it would. Yes. So that's um, that was sort of the first touch point in my career. Um, and then from there, I secured the internship, mm-hmm. which was what I thought it would be in PR, but ended up sort of being in digital marketing. Yeah. Um, so I managed to turn that internship into my very first role in marketing, which was the social media manager. So I was mm-hmm. the fund's very first social media manager, set up the Twitter, the wow. Facebook, yeah, for Australian Super um, and did everything from sort of the content strategy to customer service um, or community management. And then from there, I moved into a more of a brand role. So I yep. went into brand partnerships, brand management, um, and I guess that's really helped, I guess, form the importance of, of, of a brand and, mm. and purpose. And um, that's really helped Sunday, you know, in, t- in terms of where we are today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my sort of last, I guess, role was in digital media. Yeah. So um, I was digital director at a company called Zenith and we had mm-hmm. Disney and TikTok as clients. Um, so I sort <laughs> of managed. Yeah, some small up-and-comers. local clients, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that really helped, I guess, the media buying side of things. Mm. So, yeah, a few different roles that has really helped, I guess, everything yeah. to do with Sunday today, yeah. This is – you're the second guest in a row that has been at a company before they even had social media and had to set that up, which is so – I, like, tripped out about it last time. It's so wild to me that 
really this is not that long ago that companies did not have any sort of a social media presence. Like what a wild time to have been there from the jump. I know. I remember uploading my first post for on, on Facebook um, for the fund and it was a static image, a really long caption. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the tweets as well was, you know, trying to condense that caption um, into to fit into the character limit and it was just so rudimentary. Yeah. And it's just evolved so much now. It's wild. Let's talk Sunday. You launched in March 2021, but how long prior to that had you been working on the brand? I know that it started around conversations as to, you know, bath time is fun when you're a kid and then somewhere down the line it just becomes this chore. When did you really start thinking about it? So it was about 18 months prior to launching. Yeah. Um, so my co-founder, who is my best friend mm-hmm. and I, um, he'd just returned from something like three or four months traveling. It was really long anyway. Um, and we were just catching up over a palmer and a red wine. Yeah. And just debriefing on his travels. And he sort of mentioned that um, it, obviously he was staying in a lot of hotels and you have the white bar soap. Yeah. And it's wrapped in that plastic wrapper. Mm-hmm. And no matter, you know, how nice the hotel is or, you know, how crap the hotel might be, it's all consistent. You just have that white bar soap that's, yeah. that's wrapped. Um, and so we sort of got along sort of the train of thought of, oh, it's crazy that there's so much out there in terms of innovation when it comes to hair care and skincare, but there was just literally nothing happening in the body mm. wash space. So you had shower gels, you had bar soaps, and that was really That's it. That's it. And when we've had, you know, there was a progression obviously from bar soaps to shower gels at some point, but we've had shower gels for a really long time. And it was somewhat an untapped category. Yeah. And so off we went sort of thinking, how can we make this a little bit more fun, a little bit more interesting? That's sort of where we had the conversation around, you know, it really has turned into quite a mundane activity, showering. So you used to have so much fun as a kid and then somewhere along the way it kind of got into a bit of a mundane get in, get out. Ticking a box. Exactly. Um, So off we went trying to, I guess, reinvent the body wash Um, and then – yeah, sort of briefed a chemist. Um, she sort of came back to us and said, look, there aren't a lot of options. You, you do have your bar soap, you do have your shower gel, you could do a foam. And we were kind of thinking, you know, we didn't jump at that idea. We were like, right. oh, a foam, okay, I guess. And then we sat on it for a little bit and we were like, well, why wouldn't we position it as whipped cream? Make it a little bit creamier, a little bit more luxurious and, you know, have, I guess, a bit of a dessert play at the branding. And off we went. <laughs> it's, I mean, you say that it was kind of an untapped market. Not only that, like you, you've essentially created a category within body care. Like you're so right. It was a solid soap or a body wash. And then when new players would enter that space, it would be, you know, we've spiked it with this ingredient or we've given it a different scent or we've just, you know, changed up some sort of packaging element this was an entirely different, like format's not the word, but yeah. I think format is the word because, you know, you sort of think about the mechanism in, t- in terms of how you use your shower gel and it's that pump bottle. Yeah. And we've kind of flipped that on its head and, and asked people to not only, not only try a brand new brand, which was now Sunday, mm. but try a brand new format, as you yeah. mentioned. And it's about, you know, shaking the can, turning it upside down, dispensing it like whipped cream. And now it's effectively 
taking what is a whipped cream, yeah. I guess, process or, or way of using um, and changing that mechanism to apply to body wash. Yeah, it's like everyone was using a grey lead pencil and someone's come in and gone, have you guys heard of ink? Because <laughs> this is going to change everything. Exactly. <laughs> so where did you go from there? How did you go about finding the chemist you had that conversation with initially? How did you land on the name? How did you find the right packaging? I did read that you kind of reverse engineered it once you had the whipped cream thing in mind. You started with the can and thought about the colours how did you make it happen? So when I had a stint in uh, in my career in brand, I worked yeah. for a company called Bellavox. Yes. Yeah, do you know Bellavox? I yeah. do. The founder has been on the show. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Sarah. Yeah, love yes. it. Yeah. So I had a, a probably I worked there for about 18 months and um, from there that was my first sort of foray into beauty. Yeah. And I established some really great relationships there. So a friend who worked there knew a chemist, so she introduced me to this chemist mm-hmm. um, and that's who effectively we briefed on, you know, we want something different to a shower gel and different to a bar soap. What are our options? Yep. <laughs> From there we sort of perfected the formula with her and then it was literally just a Google of manufacturers trying yep. to find a local manufacturer um, who would work with us. Obviously we were very small and we didn't have runs sure. on the board like other brands yeah. might do. So finding someone that was, was willing to work with us. Um, and then from my time at Bellavox, I had really good uh, fragrance house contacts as well. Oh, so great. sort of got onto a fragrance house, worked with them on our first four SKUs or first mm-hmm. four flavours. Um, and from there we sort of realised, okay, f- we always knew that we wanted to be on shelf. Yep. And we knew that packaging was going to be a really big obviously play, yeah, play for us. Um, and so colour obviously plays a big part in that. So from there we sort of thought, all right, what are really popular colours and and what it's really going to pop on shelf? Mm-hmm. Um, and then so we worked out the colour first and then we thought, right, what are our fragrance options that sort of are relevant to that colour? Um, so, it. yeah, we sort of came up with green and then from there we worked with the fragrance house to develop Juicy Pear, which was mm-hmm. our fragrance, Came up with orange, which was orange crush was the fragrance, um, pink, and then that sort of developed into cherry on top. And then we needed, I guess, a cream colour, which was our very vanilla flavour. My favourite. Yeah. Yeah. The brand is self-funded, obviously pros and cons here. What would you say are the advantages and the disadvantages of self-funding versus bringing on external investors? I think at the start it mostly felt like there was no advantages because (laughs) (laughs) it was really quite stressful and a lot of pressure and a lot of backing itself. But I will say that I guess the advantage there is it lowers your risk and that at that point you don't owe anyone money. Yeah. And um, that was definitely an advantage. But sort of fast forward two years now, it's kind of flipped on its head because I would say that it's all advantages. Mm -hmm. Now uh, we have complete control and freedom to navigate and steer the brand in the way that we want it to be. Um, And, yeah, I I, I guess we now have runs on the board, so it doesn't mean that we haven't had any help, you know, as you sort of trade for two years, you have trading history and you can sort of apply for line of credits with banks and Mm. that can sort of help with cash flow um, in the meantime. But, yeah, definitely advantages and disadvantages, but I think over time that really changes. The freedom of it is the big one. Yeah. 
you launched at the height of the pandemic. I've heard you speak on how the timing was actually pretty fortuitous because everyone was really turning to self-care and like ramping up their bathing routines. But did that launch timeline present any challenges at the same time? Absolutely. So supply chain, I think anyone making oh, products, yeah, <laughs> anyone making products during that time would have had a real howler when it mm. came to supply chain. But for us, it meant that um, we had to source everything locally to yep. start with because we couldn't actually get anything in. Um, yeah, certainly course. from a time perspective, we knew that we had to be on shelf in February um, and we didn't have the luxury of importing a lot of raw materials. Yep. So everything from our caps, our cans, everything is made here in Australia. So that, I guess, COVID really forced us to rely on local suppliers, but mm. in turn, I guess what we didn't foresee was the next challenge would be that really influenced our pricing. Yeah, of course. So we went to Woolworths and Priceline with a $20 recommended retail price. Yeah. Um, and it just couldn't be any less or else we wouldn't make any money. No. <laughs> and it was largely driven by the fact that we were made and a lot of our raw materials were sourced from Australia. Mm. Um, so I think the average price of a body wash at that point in time was $6.71. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> we were coming in at $20. So yeah. that presented, so the, I guess the first challenge was the supply chain and then that obviously influenced the pricing and that was definitely a hurdle in terms of getting us on shelf. Um, mm -hmm. It was probably the only, I guess, concern that the retailers presented to us when we approached them. Yeah. Well, let's talk retailers because you'd secured Priceline and Woolworths, so something like 1,200 stockists before you had even launched. How did you go about making that happen? We always knew we wanted to be in retail. Yeah. I feel like we were already asking consumers to change up the way that they consume their body wash. Mm -hmm. You know, we're asking them to effectively get a whipped cream like can and, and yes. pop it in their shower. So that, I guess, education piece was was quite a big challenge to, to tackle so we didn't also then want to change the way that people bought their body wash too yep. because, you know, I don't know about you, but I've always bought my body wash from supermarkets. Sure. So we always knew we wanted to be in supermarkets and be where the shoppers are. Um, so, yeah, given that, we had absolutely no retail experience whatsoever. So for us, that was a big risk. Mm. So we effectively approached a distributor who already had that relationship right. with Woolworths and Priceline. Um, so once we sort of got the distributor on board, they helped us connect, you know, connect us with with the buyers. Yeah. Um, and then from there we sort of pitched and went through the whole process. Love that. I was going to ask any advice to anyone looking to get a brand off the ground and they want to get it in front of people at those retailers, but I guess finding the right distributor is part of that. I think so. And I think, I think that certainly helps you get your foot in the door. Yeah. But oh yeah, and then if the product's crap, then well, <laughs> yeah. But not only the product, I think you also, as a brand, have to have a really clear purpose in what you're trying yeah. to achieve. And the example that I like to draw on is when we presented to Woolworths and Priceline, um, we didn't have, we only had mock-ups. Yeah, okay. and I had a white can with no artwork, and I had a 3D print of the cap. Right, so and they're the like, is even... this for the dessert aisle or what? Yeah. And they were like, what is this shonky sample, <laughs> basically? Because the 3D, you know, print of the cap didn't fit on the Perfect. can properly. So they really just had the formula inside, which was 
a true representation of what it is today. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the artwork and, and the finished product, they really only had that that white can sample mm. um, and then they had our mock-ups through the pitch deck. So I think that in itself just shows if you're really clear on what you're trying to achieve with the brand and the products, it helps to really get the buyers on board early on, even if you are trying to pitch to them with a white yeah. sample. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good advice. Let's go back to product development for a moment. At present, Sunday Body has 10, 14 SKUs if we take the Messina collab into account, which we will get to because I'm mad for it. But they are all whipped shower foams. I'm always fascinated by founders who are playing in one category, so to speak, doing one thing and doing it really, really well. But I can imagine... I mean, probably commercially, it, there would be a temptation there to kind of stray or do a bit of everything. Was there ever a point pre-launch where you considered, say, a wider suite of product or was the plan always to just stick to this one thing and then make that your signature? So when we first had the idea, it was very much centred around reinvigorating body wash, the, the body wash category. Yeah. Um, and certainly that was kind of how we started the brand. Um, great, let's call it Sunday. Let's focus on this whip shower foam. As we sort of started to develop the branding and the products, um, COVID hit. And I guess we were all, as a Victorian, we were mm. forced into lockdown. And I think we know more than anyone what it's like to, I guess, try and find joy in the yeah. mundane. <laughs> Just putting it gently. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, yeah, putting it positively. But mm. effectively, you know, we were all suddenly looking forward to going for walks and cooking and cleaning all these, I guess, daily routines and tasks that we haven't really thought too much about. So that at that point, that's where the brand took a real turn because Mm -hmm. we realised, well, actually showering is one of those mundane daily tasks that, you know, it could be so much more enjoyable. Why isn't it? And so from there, we sort of went off on this path around, okay, well, let's just broaden our scope a little bit. Let's create products that bring joy back to your daily routine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we kind of felt like at that time, body care in general was pretty largely untapped. Yeah. So, you know, can we make body care products that you know, inject a bit of joy into your everyday? You actually enjoy using it. You enjoy the packaging, the formulations, um, and I guess really bringing that innovation to the forefront. So, mm. yes, we do have just whip shower foams now, um, but later this year you'll see mm. more products coming out. That's a teaser <laughs> and I know what it's about. <laughs> Scent is one of my favourite things to talk about. How does that fragrance development process work on your end? Are you always thinking about what might come next or this might be fun, let's do this, or are you working off what consumers are asking you for or is it a balance of both? Definitely a balance of both. I like to sort of split our fragrance development into two streams. So we have our core range. Yeah. Um, and then we have our limited editions mm-hmm. and our seasonals. The gingerbread one at Christmas <laughs> was so special. That was our first foray into limited yeah. editions. And it went crazy. It sold out in three weeks and that was in October. So really before the Christmas rush had even started. I think I had stockpiled it. So (laughs) (laughs) sorry, everyone. Got to thank you for that one. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I would say it's it's a combination of both. It's certainly our strategy for the core range is having a look at what colour is missing from the lineup. Yeah. And then reverse engineering the fragrance from there. 
-hmm. Limited editions is really about tapping into the seasons and also very heavily guided by our customers and what they want. And that's where we kind of get to have a little bit of fun and play with it a little bit. Um, Yeah, I think our core range is very much around fruit. It's a bit more of an elevated fragrance. Limited edition is really quite dessert Mm. oriented. One product that does differ slightly is the green tea foam because this is an exfoliating product rather than a cleansing product. How did that one come about and how did that product development process differ from the rest of the range? So we knew we wanted to do an exfoliating product because it was the next, I guess, logical step yeah. in the in your, what you call your body care routine. Um the funny thing about this one is it started as a charcoal foam. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so charcoal back then was really, as you know, everyone yeah. was talking about charcoal. Um, but we had to put a bit of dye in it. As you know, charcoal, yeah. most of the products that have charcoal in it have some dye in mm-hmm. it to give it that grey colour. And we started using it and my bathroom is black, so it was fine. I didn't notice it. I gave yeah. it to a girlfriend and her bathroom is white and suddenly had grey foam all over the tiles and it looked like somewhat of a murder scene. So yeah. we were like, we can't. That's exactly where my mind went because yeah. I've got enough issues with the fake tan on my white bathroom so that would just be adding a whole other situation. Yeah, that... I'm very glad we didn't go down that path. But yeah. um, that's kind of set us off on, okay, well, we can't. it can't be coloured. It's got to be. It's got to be white like our shower yeah. foams. Um, and then that led us to AHA. And so that was just a matter of swapping out our Australian extracts that we have in our core shower foam range mm-hmm. um, and popping in AHA in it. So launched green tea about two weeks ago. We just launched berry. Yeah, amazing. Um, and that's in exclusively in Woolworths. So we've now got two exfoliating shower foams. Unreal. The Messina Lamington is what's currently in my shower. So let's talk about that collaboration. How did Sunday Body and Gelato Messina come to be? How did you settle on which, I keep going to say flavours, but their scents really, how did you settle on which scents would be part of that collection? And what do you think is the key to collaborating successfully, particularly with a brand that is so far outside of the beauty space? So we've seen that Messina do a lot of, they do a lot of brand they partnerships. Do. Yeah, yeah. They, that's what they do really, really well. So we'd seen a few pop up and we were just kind of thinking that would be great mm. to, to work with Messina. So we approached them with this, I guess, collaboration in mind that we'd take their best-selling flavours, yep. gelato flavours, and then turn it into a shower foam. Um, and we were just lucky that they loved the ideas as much as we did. And I think in terms of, I guess, how we've made it work with a brand that's so far outside of our category, Mm. um, I think it really comes down to we both have a similar brand ethos. So very much two iconic Australian brands um, but share, I guess, a love for delicious smelling or delicious tasting. They're joyful brands. They're joyful brands, Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you can answer this, but this was just something that I found interesting. You can buy the Messina Sunday scents individually in Priceline, but just as a bundle of all four of them on the Sunday Body website. Was there a strategy there? Our strategy with the Sunday Body website um, has been a really interesting evolution. So as I said, we always knew we wanted to be on shelf and in retail. That's where people buy their body wash and that's what they're used to, I guess, but, you know, they're used to going into store and, and buying their body wash um, in supermarkets. But 
Our e-com offering was an interesting one because I, I've personally never bought body wash online. I don't think I have either. Yeah, exactly. So we needed to make it, I guess, um, complementary, but also enough to make people want to buy it online as opposed to in-store. So how yeah. we did this was gifting. Mm-hmm. So we engineered our packaging and, and even the box that it comes in to be quite giftable. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the same box that our influencers receive that our customers get with their order um, and they're able to sort of bundle it and, you know, build their own bundle online. And that's yeah. how we've been able to, I guess, run both channels Um in parallel but also quite complimentary so people kind of shop the bundles online they get a beautiful giftable box and then they can go in store and you know replenish mm. on a single so I think we just basically just use that strategy for Messina so they can buy the singles and price line um, but then if they want to buy the set and get the box they've got to come to our website to do that makes sense given that your background is in digital marketing it would be remiss of me not to ask about the digital strategy, I've heard you say that you don't do a great deal of paid partnerships and instead favour influencer gifting. How do you make sure that your brand sets itself apart on socials? We're very much an experience-driven brand and what we mean by that is we want every touch point with our brand to be a joyful one. And I think why we've favoured influencer gifting is because the unboxing moment is so it's such a fun one. Yeah. And it's something that we personally, internally, we really enjoy creating that whole unboxing moment, making it different um, and making, you know, influencers and content creators actually want to genuinely talk about it on their channels. So whilst we sort of don't invest in paid partnerships, we invest a lot in the, like the PR mailer and the experience itself. Um, In terms of how we set ourselves apart on socials, I think it's really about you know, coming back to our purpose, which is igniting joy. And we just make sure that every content that we're producing sparks joy Mm. and makes you smile when you look at it or hear it. Um, And that's kind of just what we run with for Mm -hmm. the last two years. One of the things, I mean, one of the many things I find interesting about the brand is that it seems to appeal to a number of really different demographics. So I love it as an adult, but then I've got friends with children who say their kids love it. There are teenagers that love it because of that whole, you know, visual element, the price point. How have you gone about marketing the brand in a way that doesn't feel exclusionary to any one age group? It doesn't feel too juvenile. It doesn't feel too adult. It's a hard balance to strike and somehow you've done it. I think when we first started this brand, our target audience was very much females 25 to 44. Yeah. Um, Because of the price point you know, we needed to sort of hit that that older demographic. Mm -hmm. Um, What we didn't sort of foresee was that, as you said, mums would use it as a dangling carrot to get their kids (laughs) into the bar. And so that made us pivot a little bit. But I think what we've kind of, we found a nice balance between, I guess, promoting that fun and joy element, because it really does mean different things for different people and different age groups. So you know, fun or joy for me means just a self-care moment or a moment where I can just have five minutes to myself. But fun to a five-year-old is literally, you know, doing shower art in the bath with our foams. So I think for us, it's it's that balance between, um, I guess, communicating all the different ways that you can experience our product. Mm -hmm. Another thing that's of interest to me is that you kept your role as founder 
pretty private until last year. You weren't really calling yourself the founder unless you were asked about it. Why was that? Because we've had a few conversations on the show recently about how some people do kind of just want to start a brand so that they can put like founder in their Instagram bio or whatever it might be. (laughs) So it's fascinating speaking to someone who really went the other way with it. You wanted to create a brand so that that brand could exist. And then over a year into the piece, you're like, okay, yeah, I'll talk about it now. (laughs) Yeah. So I think, I think my career has been largely been working with big, big brands and big companies and, and some global companies as well. And I think that founder story is just really not prevalent. Yeah. When you think about a Disney or you think about a TikTok, yeah. like, you don't really see the founder story too much. And I think that really trained me to be really comfortable being, you know, back behind house, the scenes. Yeah. Behind the scenes. And so much so that when we launched the brand and um, we onboarded with our PR agency, obviously they said, let's talk about the founder story. And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because it made me really uncomfortable. Mm. It's just not something that I'm used to. And I've, I've kind of been trained to be, you know, behind the scenes, which I'm very comfortable yep. doing. You know, I think I think it's probably my career has very much shaped that first year as to why I sort of chose to be back of house mm. and, and behind the scenes. And it sort of got to a point where people were asking, who is behind yeah. this brand? Um, and then also there was, you know, I think a lot of customers thought that a bigger brand was behind Sunday. Right. Yeah. So that kind of, it forced me <laughs> to come That's in, That hadn't yeah. occurred to me, but yeah, okay. Yeah. So that was kind of the evolution of it. I mean, it's I'm still pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> You're a natural. You don't seem it. Um, Thank you. You've been part of the beauty industry for a few years now. Over the last couple of years, let's say since pre-pandemic, what have been the biggest changes that you've seen within the beauty industry? I think certainly it's stripping it back and mm-hmm. getting back to basics has been something that I've really noticed. And um, certainly for us, it's about, you know, even since COVID, you know, a lot, there, a lot of at-home self-care was happening. Yeah. You know, think about all the, I guess, in spa treatments that you sort of brought at home. And I think that's kind of stayed in a way. Um, and certainly I, I know a lot more of my friends are doing, still doing their nails yeah. at home. It's fun. I finally nailed the um, glazed donut. I'm oh, over the moon. I keep looking amazing. at them. I might have to get some tips off you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would say, look, it's just stripping it back. And I think I think probably COVID made us realise that you don't need an eight-step skincare routine to have a self-care moment. Correct. You know, you can you can do it in a few steps and, and you don't need to overdo it. Mm. What changes do you think we can expect to see from the industry over the coming few years? And I think that minimalist approach will probably continue. Um, I, I think we're already sort of seeing it. There's a lot of multi-purpose products coming out. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't know about you, but I don't use a primer anymore. I use my sunscreen as a primer yeah. and that's been probably the biggest thing for me. It's amazing because it's just one extra step that I can just rule out. And I, I, I do think that that will continue um, not to get into the ec- economics of it, but obviously the cost of living is going up and mm. I think people are stripping back, you know, the amount of products that they're buying. Yeah. And it's probably showing them too that once you strip it back and, and have a go at, I guess, you know, condensing your routine, you probably don't need all those products. Yeah. <laughs> as, as fun as it is. <laughs> it's fun, but then I think of it in terms of, say, travel. Like, okay, I'm not packing my entire kit when I go somewhere. 
Like it's just stripping it back to the essentials. Exactly, exactly. I actually went, I had a trip on the weekend and I went to put my makeup bag in my carry-on and it took up half my carry-on. Mm. Yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> so I was just like, gosh, I, I started taking everything out of my makeup bag and, and actually placing it in between my clothes. Mm. But it just showed me, I was like, I need to cut down the yeah. amount of makeup I'm carrying around. <laughs> I know that I should, but then I'll be packing my suitcase tomorrow and God knows what's going to be in there. My final question, what is next for Sunday Body? So I guess for us, our vision is very much to be, you know, the most loved and and frequently used body care brand. And what that means for us is being in as many countries and as many retailers as possible. So we're working really, really hard on export Mm -hmm. um, at the moment. And in parallel, we're working really hard on new products. So for us, it's about really coming up with new products that challenge the form and function of, you know, what you'd normally associate with a body wash or Mm. other body care products. So, um, yeah, I would say export is a big one and new product development. That was Lizzie Whaley, co-founder of Sunday Body, which you can find on Instagram at Sunday Body, Sunday with an E like the dessert. To read more, you can visit glowjournal.com and for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at jemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me. The Glow Journal podcast would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people, the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is produced. We pay our respects to Elders past and present.